my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to BQ&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also host uh, of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining with us. It is really wonderful to be able to share with you. Uh, Whether you're with us, uh, listening in your car, or whether you're listening to us via the, uh, the Faith FM app. Now look guys, can I just please recommend this to you, the Faith FM app. Uh, if you don't have that downloaded on your phone, it is really worth picking up and uh, and downloading. All you need to do is to go to your favourite app store. Uh, just do a search and uh, and look for Faith FM Australia. Now you want the Australia on the end because otherwise you'll end up with Faith FM America and you want Australian voices talking to you, you don't want American voices. So uh, please go to uh, Faith FM uh, Australia in your uh, favourite app store. Download that uh, app onto your phone and then you can uh, you can listen to uh, uh, to Faith FM when you're on your morning walk, uh, when you're out at the shopping centre. Uh, we'd love uh, to have you have you with us. Uh, this week uh, we're looking at God, the Bible, and a very very human church. Uh, this week uh, we're working our way through the experience of the church at Corinth. And now so far this week we've noticed that this was a, a church that faced a very real problems uh, on Monday. Uh, we asked, how do I deal with cliques in the church? And we noticed that the Corinthian church was struggling with segmentation. It was struggling with cliques in the church. Yesterday, uh, how does a church deal with immorality in the church? We discovered that this church not only had cliques, but it had unaddressed immorality. And uh, myself and uh, and Eric Hoare uh, chatted through that uh, that particular question. Uh, today, uh, I'm, I'm here with uh, with Pastor. David Butcher, and we're uh, talking is personal conflict real in the church, and we're going to be picking up uh, again the book of Corinthians and looking at yet another problem uh, that this church was facing. Goodness me, there are uh, churches today that uh, do uh, do have issues, do face problems, uh, but uh, I suggest that uh, it's not nothing on this uh, on this Corinthian church. Now, of course, today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher, and David's the, the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Uh, here in South Oz. Uh, welcome back to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and um, it's really good to be here this afternoon, and uh, I want to welcome our listeners as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to have you back back with us. Now, David, look, I understand uh, you've just returned from a minister's retreat. Now, uh, tell me, David, what do ministers do uh, when they retreat? And by nature, that very word can mean several things, can't it? It can mean a retreat is a place to refresh, to unwind, uh, to move back from, if you like, or retreat is to move away from the enemy, to, to, to safety, if you like. And, and maybe it's all of that at times. So, yeah, what do ministers do on a retreat? Look, we met with, um, our, our ministry leaders, our ministers, and, um, Ministry in times like the role of a minister, and we're going to talk about this shortly, yeah. uh, shortly I should say, and shortly, uh, but the role of a minister is certainly one that is very complex, and yeah. uh, you're dealing with all sorts of life situations and cultural things, and you name it, the problems of life, and uh, ministers, we're humans, aren't we? Indeed. And... Um, 
so to come apart and rest a while, as Jesus uh, sought to do with his disciples, is an important thing to fellowship mm-hmm. together, uh, to meet together, to listen, to laugh, to make fun of each other. Um, so, yeah, we went away on a retreat uh, just out of Adelaide in the Adelaide Hills to, to a location. And um, basically, we spent time in the outdoors uh, doing activities and essentially team building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we broke up into two separate tribes, our, our team. And uh, tried to score points off each other. No, not really. We we were doing team building activities, and um, yeah, it, it fostered really good camaraderie, uh, a little bit of a competitive spirit in a positive sense, but yeah, real bonding with each other and um, worships and fellowship and coming together and eating together and praying together. It was really mm. positive. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely fantastic. I I know that on this occasion I actually had to offer my apologies on this uh, on this particular regional because I've got a a number of programs that are running at the at the present time. So I was unable to. I, th- I think, if I remember correctly, I was the only one who wasn't there. There were a couple of others for for a variety of reasons. But look, Gary, it was really good. Um, you know, we a number of us we climbed a most of us climbed a fifteen meter tree on ropes, and that was sort of a challenging exercise. We were doing all sorts of um, teamwork on wires and ropes and, and balancing on, on sort of like a, a large table that wasn't balanced properly to try and get people to work together. We we're doing orienteering mm-hmm. and we're working on other activities where we had to rely on each other because ministry is often a solo, uh, you know, yeah. as a minister, we often work on our own with a congregational congregation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. no, God really blessed. It was really yeah, wonderful. Yeah. No, that's fantastic to have you have you back again. Now, look, David, just while we're on that particular subject, I'd love to come uh, bring you to an article that I picked up today. Uh, it's just been released on the Christian Headlines uh, site. And uh, it was titled, 38% of pastors seriously considering quitting, says George Barner. I didn't sign up for this, is what the, what the headline reads. Now, when I saw that, when it popped up on my screen, I thought, hey, this is really something that I have to, um, uh, I have to really dig into. Now, this is what the article said. An increasing percentage of Protestant senior pastors say they are seriously considering, considering, uh, leaving full-time ministry, according to a new Barna Group survey that's just been released that found a, a large percentage of mainline and non-mainline pastors alike are contemplating a different career path. The survey, released on Tuesday this week, uh, found that more than one-third, that's 38% of senior pastors, uh, say they are seriously considering leaving the ministry a significant increase from the 29% of senior pastors who answered that way in January. Now, in just a, a few months, that number has shot up uh, by 9%. That's a, that's a huge, a huge increase. Half of mainline pastors, that's 51%, and just over one-third of non-mainline pastors, that's one-third, 34%, say they are seriously considering leaving full-time ministry. The survey was conducted amongst 577 senior pastors in October. Uh, pastors were asked, have you given real serious consideration to quitting uh, full-time ministry or within the last year? Joe Jensen, vice president of a church engagement for Barna and a former a pastor himself, said pastors are facing pressures that they didn't face pre-pandemic. Politics has been around for hundreds of years, but politics and social media together, this is the first time in history that we've had these types of cultural forces at hand, Jensen told Christian Headlines. 
the pressures of leading a virtual church service during the pandemic has really strained pastors, uh, Jensen said. Often, uh, the dearth of people in the pews sparked financial problems within the church. Jensen said pastors often tell Barna researchers, I didn't sign up for this. For example, I didn't sign up to preach to a camera every week. Combined, uh, these external forces impact a pastor's internal well-being, Jensen said. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations being placed on the pastor. Big churches and small churches, all sizes, Jensen said. There's a lot of external pressure coming from the outside world, from media, from social media. Uh, Pastors feel like they're under a kind of magnifying glass. The negative perception of pastors across the country is rising. Church members often don't view pastors as the relevant central source of truth in a culture anymore. Pastors are feeling isolated and burnt out, he added. And so they're feeling that, and then they go inside their churches, and there's a kind of expectation in a lot of churches, that pastors have to have it all together, that it's really not okay to be okay to be not okay as a pastor, Jensen say. Now, that last little statement to me, I think, is is very, very significant. Uh, They really feel that it's not really okay to not be okay as a pastor. Now, David, you know, you've just been on a minister's retreat. You've had opportunity to sit down and talk to uh, certainly the, the pastors in, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist pastors in the, uh, in the South Australian district of the, uh, of this church. Now, you know, how would you respond to this, this particular article? So this is from America. Yeah. And, um, there are some things over there that the politics and religion is certainly more firmly entrenched there. But essentially, the problems and the challenges faced there are mirrored probably everywhere in what we would call, a, you know, the, the global north, the, yeah. the developed yeah. world. And, Certainly, we would find that in our denomination at times, and also I probably would suggest in all Christian denominations, as a Barna reporter suggested. So, yeah, pastors, uh, people look up to the pastor. The pastors should be um, uh, set a higher expectation. They should. I mean, you know, um, they've been set apart. Uh, people look to them to be spiritual shepherds, mm-hmm. uh, and there's an element that that's what it should be. But ultimately, the 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 place where people should ultimately be looking to is to Jesus Christ and the Word. Mm. So there are lots of pressures and expectations on pastors, and I Mm. think um, we've moved away from the biblical model of every member as a minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, pastors have often become settled in our cultures, uh, and there are some good reasons for that. But, you know, just reading the New Testament, the apostles moved from place to place. Mm. But the church wasn't dependent upon the apostles. Mm. The apostles were there to train, to equip, to be evangelists. And what we find today, largely a generalization, but church members, uh, Christians are very busy in their mm. daily life. Mm. Um, they go to church once a week generally. Uh, they give of their tithes, return of their tithes. They give of their offerings. And um, there are some very committed church members, absolutely, in every denomination. But what we find is in a busy Christian church, 
uh, with compliance and administration, with all sorts of external government agencies, and even from within the church, um, a lot of that falls on ministers. Tell me, David, do you think that you've mentioned compliance uh, and uh, certainly the, uh, those types of expectations, haven't they always been there, or, or do you feel that they're on the increase? There's certainly been an element that has always been there, but I think what happens in ministry and, 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 and Christianity, um, we also see played out in other professions uh, in, in, in yeah. real life. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens then within the church, you really don't have many paid employees. Generally, in many denominations, it's just the pastor. Mm. Uh, and so you are working with church members who are also busy and, and working for a living and, and all of those sorts of things. They have the daily challenges of life. And so um, there is a faithful group of committed Christians in every in every church, but there is added pressure upon the minister because everyone else is a volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really appreciate what you're actually saying there because I'm, uh, I'm so conscious that myself, I, as you know, I also pastor a church at the, at the present, uh, at the present time in addition to doing our, our Faith FM studio here. And, uh, I know myself, you know, I've certainly been in ministry. I think my first year in ministry was back in about 83, uh, somewhere, somewhere there. And, uh, in those days, uh, certainly I, I can, I can reflect that, you know, I started in, in Brisbane in a, uh, in a church that had a high youth uh, population and then the following year I was sent out to uh, country Queensland uh, the town of Rome a lovely town and uh, I really want to say a big shout out to uh, uh, my friends out there it's country Queensland is a really beautiful place to live really enjoyed that uh, but you know David I'm, I'm so conscious that back in you know in the mid 80s you could certainly do your, your ministry very much with you know you certainly preached on the weekend you uh, uh, you shared the scriptures with people during the week. You you visited and cared for the uh, cared for the people. Uh, but primarily, I was certainly on the uh, on the road. Uh, I would have said eighty percent of the time uh, visiting, talking, preaching, and teaching. Uh, whereas whereas now. I'm just really conscious that the amount of time that I spend behind my desk dealing with administrative material seems to have really gone through the through the roof. Look, absolutely. And, you know, you've just said some of the core things, teaching, preaching, visitation, etc. Uh, and, and there, I think, some of the core things in ministry. Yet we're living in a world where there is so much... Uh, the world is cracking, yeah. And we see some of those pressures in the church. We're all human beings, and so you have you have uh, marriage issues. Mm. You have um, you have relationship challenges. You have the challenges of families uh, dealing with children going through yeah. stages of life. You have health challenges. You have you know you have um, deaths. You have illnesses to deal with. You have legal challenges that may come. You have um, Issues between other Christians in the church. You're there to lead people um, uh, by faith and faithfully and, and prayer and all of these sorts of things. Mm. And so the expectations placed upon the pastors also range to, well, in some places, mowing members' lawns, um, yeah. making sure people uh, have food and clothing when there are, when there are uh, life challenges and loss of income. Yeah. Uh, some of this falls on the pastor. So the pastor's work and um, is so 
expansive. And now, Gary, I spent um, probably 12 or 13 years in business, probably mm-hmm. 13 years in business, a couple of different businesses where I worked just as many hours uh, almost as I'm doing now in, in ministry. Yeah. The difference is, and so I know what it's like to have had uh, vast amounts of business pressure. The, biz- the difference for me in my own personal experience has been this, that when I've worked in business long hours, um, that it's segmented. Yes. And so my, my work life will be segmented, but then I come to church. With a minister, they're working extremely long hours. Mm. They are dealing with all those life challenges, and they're with the minister seven days a week, mm. often mm. even on their day off. Whereas when I'm in business, I then come to church, uh, it's, I can segment the work element off. Yeah. But with a minister, yeah. it's all-encompassing. And so I would like to suggest uh, with people listening out there, which whichever denomination you belong to, Uphold your pastor in prayer. I know that so many people do, and I know when people tell me they do, um, even when they may disagree with me, I've had emails from people saying, look, we uphold you in prayer. Um, That's fantastic. Praise God. So, And something else, Gary, in America it's quite a big thing, Pastor Appreciation Month in October. Mm -hmm. What would happen if in our country parishioners of whatever denomination were to actually really affirm their pastors, upholding them in prayer, and thanking them and and letting them know they value their ministry. Mm, yeah, no, that that is something that is, and, and that's something that goes certainly two ways. You know, I mean, certainly I know that you know as, as pastors, it's very easy to uh, you know to overlook the incredible uh, work that so many of our, our our lay our lay folk do do commit to uh, church to certainly ministry in a volunteer capacity. And I just absolutely take my hat off to to, to those individuals who work a very full long week and then are prepared to put uh, 12, 15 hours uh, possibly into the ministry of church and I really take my hat off to those people so I, I certainly don't want this to come come no. across that you know it's sort of a, a, a difficult thing for, for, for pastors. Pastors are paid to do this uh, and yet I, I'm so conscious that this survey really spoke to me because it, it said hey you know if 38% are seriously considering quitting um hey uh, that has and that of course is going outside of the seventh-day adventist church um, but that would have to make a significant impact on the work of god on earth if in fact that sort of thing was to occur very true yeah yeah look let's come to some uh, some some music this is uh the the song casting uh, casting crowns uh love uh, love this particular uh song uh this is uh done uh, it's called uh tis so sweet uh to trust in jesus please please enjoy tis so sweet to trust in jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the lord jesus jesus how i trust him how i proved you more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more 
I learned to trust Him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that He is with me. Will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him. That's Casting Crowns. Uh, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Uh, thanks so much for, for that. Really appreciated that, uh, that music. Uh, folks, we do have for you today a, a free giveaway, a free book. Uh, we believe that, uh, that this book is one that will really impact you. Now, this one is uh, entitled Life Without Limits, and it's written by uh, Clifford Goldstein. Now, Clifford Goldstein is an absolutely engaging uh, author. Uh, he writes some material that has challenged many, many people, many books, Books and uh, uh, I, I believe you'll just uh, just really uh, appreciate everything that uh, Clifford's got to say. Um, in the the subtitle, how would you uh, live differently if you knew that there was more to life than what what you were seeing? Something wonderful was awaiting for you at the uh, end of the the road of life. Uh, you are not on this journey by chance, but rather for a special purpose. If you knew these things were true, uh, would you live safe and defeated, or would you set out to live a larger life, a life possibly even without limits? Now, this is a totally engaging book, and he take, uh, Clifford takes on some of the biggest questions and offers some of the answers that will change how you view both this world and your life. Uh, this is a fascinating uh, mixture of faith and logic. He just seeks to uh, dig out the truth on uh, on matters like the meaning of life, uh, where we came from, the laws that protect us from pain, and why we can believe in a promising future. Guys, this is a real little beauty book. It's not a it's not a long, difficult, hard read. Uh, this is a incredibly practical, down to earth uh, little document. Now, look, guys, if you'd like uh, the book Life Without Limits, there's a really easy way to get that. Uh, all you need to do is to text us here uh, at our studio text number. Now, that number is oh four triple eight. 
80811. Uh, that number again is 04 888 808 11. And all you need to do is put in your text SA25. Now that's the, the code for, for this week. Now that will come into our studio and it's picked up by our, by our mate Faithful. Now Faithful is a robot. Uh, he's, uh, he's an incredible little robot. He'll respond to you. He'll ask you for a, d- a few details that we need so we can get this book to you in, in the fastest possible, uh, possible manner. Uh, he, don't be, um, offended at, uh, at faithful, uh, but please make sure you put in SA25 with no gaps between SA and, uh, and 25 because, uh, faithful, um, seems to have a, have difficulty in, uh, in picking up that, uh, SA with a gap 25 is the same as SA with no gap 25. Uh, so if you could, uh, uh, if you could possibly uh, just uh, remember that, that would be appreciated. That book again is Life Without Limits, written by Clifford Goldstein, uh, and the drive time text number is 04888-80811. Now look, if you've got any comments or thoughts that you'd like to contribute to today's program, you can also use that uh, number. It will come to us uh, here at the uh, at the desk at our studio in uh, in Adelaide. Uh, we'd love to. We'd love you to have uh, that particular. Book. Now you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the uh, chief uh, uh, pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in uh, South Australia. Uh, this week we're following the theme God, the Bible and a very human church. Uh, this week we're working our way through the experience of the church at Corinth. Now so many churches today do face issues, they face problems, they face uh, things that they don't know how to, how to resolve. This week so far we've noticed that the church at Corinth was the one that was one that also faced very real issues on Monday uh, we noticed that there were clicks in the church and uh, Paul addressed that issue with them and we asked uh, how do I deal with clicks in the church and we picked up on some of Paul's advice yesterday uh, we also noticed that there was immorality in the church and uh, Paul of course addressed that particular issue and uh, myself and uh, and Eric Hoare uh, talked about how do we resolve uh, issues when there is obvious immorality amongst maybe the pastor team or even amongst the church members uh, in in a particular church? Today, we want to go to another issue that is uh, is part of the Corinthian church life, and that's this issue of personal conflict. Uh, you know, David, I don't know about you, but it just seems that uh, whenever uh, there's uh, humans are gathered together, you get this issue of a personality conflict at some point. Now, I don't know how you, the churches that you've pastored uh, have uh, uh, ha- have been, but certainly there's been times in my ministry when individuals within a church have certainly uh, been at, at loggerheads. Absolutely, I, I guess the the church is is like a family, right? It's a gathering of believers, believers, a group of believers, and in a in a um, in a family itself, like a husband and a wife and children, etc. There are disputes, correct? Yeah, you are. bring different families together into the body of Christ, and we get the same thing, and and that shouldn't be our aim. 
Interestingly enough, when Paul begins the book of Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, uh, verse 2 actually, he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And, and as you said, this church, I mean, I praise God for this book in the Bible because it gives hope to any church. <laughs> and, and, and that is so important that we understand that because, you know, sometimes we have an understanding that the, the church, the early Christian church, had a level of, of perfection. It was, uh, you know, it didn't have the, 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 the warts and all that uh, many of our churches have actually got today. Now, today, certainly our churches have got major issues today. But as I look at what, you know, is going on at Corinth, and then I look at, you know, seven, uh, um, John's letter to seven churches in Revelation. in Revelation, I sort of say, hey, you know, there's hardly perfection been, afford- been uh, achieved here. If you were writing the history of a church, these are some things you'd want to keep out, right? Sexual immorality, um, uh, people taking sides in different groups. But Paul here, and and then you go to, you know, what we're going to look at, sexual immorality. You then go to marriage and how marriage should happen and what's the appropriate thing because there were issues there. Then you go to the Lord's Supper and contention over that. Then you've got the misuse of spiritual gifts. This church is in turmoil, and yet Paul calls it to the church of God which is at Corinth. He then says in, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, he says, who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. In other words, saints are holy ones. They're ones that are set apart. It's almost a a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Well, he begins that way, and he begins by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He affirms them for what their calling should be. Yeah. And then he starts... In his letter, you can just imagine the ink on that page. You know, he would have been pressing pretty hard with his writing implement. Well, he's actually, you know, he starts off in that first chapter. He says, you know, it's been told to me by those of Chloe's household that, and then he goes on and starts to talk about all the things that those of Chloe's household have actually told him. Now, I don't know how how you would feel if you were a part of Chloe's household. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, this letter arrives from uh, from the Apostle Paul, and who is it that's dobbed them in? Well, this some Somebody from Chloe's household, and I can imagine them knocking on Chloe's door and saying, "Hey, what's going on here? What are you actually telling Paul?" Because there are some things you know that uh, you know it, it's better that church pastors, and particularly the founding pastor, doesn't know about a church. Absolutely, and and so this is the environment to which Paul is writing. So yesterday you looked at sexual immorality mm. in the church. Mm. Uh, that's First uh, Corinthians five, but then we come to First Corinthians six. And um, here Paul is addressing another issue mm. amongst these holy ones, the ones that are meant to be set apart. And, um, yeah, it gives us confidence, doesn't it? I mean, the church shouldn't mimic the church in Corinth in these, this regard. So uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians, Gary, uh, chapter 6, and uh, we'll read maybe verses um, 1, to, 1 to 4, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says, Dare any of you? Having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? And then he says, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. 
This is this is absolutely a remarkable statement, isn't it? Because this isn't just uh, two people uh, sitting having a having disagreement in the church board meeting. This is far more significant. Absolutely, and and just on board meetings, I don't know if it was fact or fiction, but uh, my very first church that I pastored, I was told by by a godly person there that uh, when they were young and their fathers were there in the church, that there were actual fisticuffs in the car park after a board meeting. Well, now, I, I I can well remember, David, on one particular occasion, I actually had a um, uh, somebody was that was sharing, and uh, the pastor had got sick. And uh, they shared this with the uh, with the pastor. They said, uh, "This is a hospital visit. The church elders are doing." They said, "Pastor, we want to assure you, the church board has voted uh, to uh, uh, to pray for your recovery." And then they told him that uh, the vote was five to four. <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> disagreements in the church can actually come to, uh, to to that point on occasion. Absolutely. So here, Gary, in First Corinthians six, Paul is really upset with the Corinthian believers because they're unable to resolve the disputes that they have within their own community. Yeah. And instead, they're bringing their disputes before those who aren't Christians. They're taking them outside of the church. They're taking them to non-Christians, to, to courts, mm. for mm. a judge to decide. Now, let's before we go any further, there are certain things that, unfortunately have happened and possibly will continue to happen in a sinful world from time to time and hopefully never within Christian churches and non-Christian faith communities, right? Mm. And there are certain things which should not be resolved inside the church. And I'm specifically talking about uh, abuse of children, yeah, yeah. If and when that occurs, that should not be dealt internally. That needs to be dealt externally by the court system. Because, in fact, the law of the land has, in fact, been been broken at that at that particular point, which brings in uh, the the state legal system. Absolutely. So we're not suggesting in this passage that there should be dealt with in house and and everyone make up and all that sort of thing. If the law is broken, it needs to be dealt with appropriately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So here we have um, Christians taking other Christians to court, and it seems to be a fairly um, uh, consistent problem, and it seems that there is um, most likely they are doing this for financial recompense. Mm. They're trying to get a financial gain from it. And um, Paul is saying, hey, this is ruining the Christian witness. Uh the Bible says, you know, Revelation chapter 20, Paul also says that, uh, you know, that we will judge the world uh, in heaven there. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that. And so Paul is saying, aren't you capable enough as believers to be able to settle these differences internally? Okay, so in other words, what Paul is doing is firstly acknowledging the fact that there is conflict in the church and he's almost assuming that these issues will come up from a time to time. I mean, David, how do you account for that? Because aren't the the believers? I mean, so many times I hear, uh, you know, people uh, have a have a bit of a go at you know the church members. They're no better than the people that are in the the big wide world out there. That is the case, isn't it? And and I think this is what Paul is actually addressing. Yeah. He's saying, with you taking these disputes yeah. outside of the church, you're damaging the Christian witness. Yeah. The yeah. other thing to answer your question, Gary, 
the Christian church sadly often reflects what happens in society. And that is the unfortunate reality, isn't it? It is. The other thing I'd say too, Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. So the church is a hospital for sinners. Yeah. Everyone in a Christian congregation, some, for some it's their first time, for some they're, mm. they're babes, for others they've been in the church a long time. Everyone is at a different phase of their Christian experience. And some mm. are not even sure whether they want to explore it. They're there, mm. they're there early. So, the church represents various people on different phases of a Christian experience. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so important that we actually pick up what you're actually saying there. But, but David, look, how does Paul go? Because we do have to come to it. How does Paul actually address uh, this particular issue? Because, okay, you've got people at loggerheads. It's, uh, there's so much at loggerheads. They've actually been prepared to go to the secular courts to get seek uh, seek resolution. And Paul, Paul says, hey, look, this needs to be resolved. Uh, this particular issue needs to be resolved uh, within the church itself. Now, how do you go about doing that? Well, it's interesting. He said in verse 5, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? He's looking for people of wisdom and discernment in a church that should be able to work through these things. But then he says um, uh, in verse 7, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, that's, that to me is rather radical because, I mean, basically, I mean, that cuts against human pride and self-sufficiency. Hey, I mean, if, if in fact I've been cheated, I like to think that I'm going to get justice out there. And Paul is advocating something that's actually not going to give justice. Exactly. And he's really saying you're cheating each other's. He goes on to say that you're cheating each other's. And he says, you'll be judged by your works. But he's really saying here, I think, in verse seven, that really, um, we need to, um, sometimes if we're wrong, to let that just sit. Mm. He's also saying that we need to forgive each other. These are significant words that you're actually saying here, you know, to allow time to sit before I respond, and also this issue of forgiveness. I mean, that's a radical form of forgiveness. Absolutely. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? He's really talking about forgiveness here. And he ends in verse 11, Gary, um, after saying, who won't inherit the kingdom, but he ends in verse 11 by saying, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He's saying these sorts of things, and he talks about homosexuality, fornicators, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners. He's saying none of these practices or people that practice these things will inherit the kingdom of God. This stuff shouldn't be seen among you. He's saying you need to put these things aside, work through them internally, and also have a spirit of forgiveness. Mm, yeah. Why? Why? Because we were washed, we were set apart or sanctified, we were made right by God. So In other words, God has forgiven us for those big things where we have offended him. Therefore, we need to function in exactly the same way. Absolutely. Towards those that have offended us. Correct. Wow, that's uh, that's big. Look, let's come to some music on on that particular point, and then we'll uh, we'll come back to to talk some more. This is Michael Card, and uh, he's uh, he's singing uh, El El Shaddai. Uh, love uh, this uh, this particular rendition. Please enjoy Michael Card, El Shaddai.
时代 ，L 时代 ，L L you're not Adonai。Age to age, you're still the same. By the power of the name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erakum Kana Adonai. We will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. Through your love and through the Ram. You saved the son of Abraham, and by the power of your hand, turned the sea into dry land. To the outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees, and by your might, you set your children. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Yonah Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same. By the power of the name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erakam Kana Adonai. We will pray. Was near, though the people failed to see what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand that your most awesome work was done through the frailty of. Your son, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Yonah Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same. By the power.
Shaddai, you are my provider, God. Uh, what what wonderful words uh, that really is. Uh, now, guys, look, please remember that uh, we do have this free book uh, available for you today, Life Without Limits. This is done by Clifford Goldstein. He's a really, uh, really beaut uh, author, uh, really does uh, impact the uh, uh, the entire world with his uh, with his writing. And uh, uh, we would encourage you, if you'd like to pick up a Life Without Limits, uh, all you need to do is to text us uh, here at uh, at our Drive Time studio. That number is over. Four triple eight eight zero eight eleven, and just uh, send us the the text number, and the text number is just SA twenty five. Uh, our bot, our robot, he'll respond to you, uh, and he'll get from you the uh, the details that he needs uh, in order to be able to get this book to you in the fastest possible way. I really recommend it to you. Life uh, without uh, without uh, limits. And now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary. Today our co host is. Uh, Pastor David Butcher and David's the, the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church uh, here in uh, in South Oz. Uh, this week uh, we are looking at the, the Bible, uh, God, and a very human church. And uh, this week we're actually working our way through the experience of the church at Corinth. This has so much uh, to this church has so much to teach us uh, in our daily, daily church life. Uh, we've noticed that this church was faced with real problems, and today. Uh, we're dealing with one of those problems that came out of that church, a uh, personal conflict uh, in the church. Now, David, uh, look, come back to us again. Now, I'm really conscious that this issue of conflict didn't just happen in the book of uh, uh, Paul's uh, um, writing the letter to Corinth, but also in Acts, uh, we find more conflict actually happening in the church. We do, Gary, and um, we're going to look at Acts 15, but in Acts 11, near the end of Acts chapter 11, you have Barnabas and Paul coming together for the first time and they go on mission trips and they're doing some amazing work. But in Acts 15, we have a, a challenge to this Christian church. And Acts 15, one says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, they're in Antioch, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they're working. This is where in Antioch where Christians, uh, where the Christians were first called Christians. Acts 15, 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. So essentially, you've got a group of um zealous uh, believers coming from the church in Jerusalem talking to the Gentile, the Greek converts that mm. Paul and Barnabas and others have, 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 have made and they're saying hey guys, you're not really one of us you need to, you're not really Christian, you need to be circumcised. Mm. And that caused a dissension, a disagreement within the church and Paul and Barnabas are going against and speaking out against those people that come down from Jerusalem saying you have to be circumcised. But then there is a process that takes place mm. and it was decided in Corinth that uh, Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem and they should go up and they should meet with the apostles and the elders. In other words, go up to the the leading church uh, body, if you like, in Jerusalem and they should settle this question. Mm -hmm. Do new believers, do Greek new believers, Gentiles, if you like, do they need to be circumcised like Jewish converts to Christianity were? And this is certainly probably one of the, probably the major uh, first Christian council 
of the of the Christian church that was actually recorded here. And this was a deep issue. This we also see this issue of circumcision in the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm. It's interesting and I'm going to diverge very quickly. We don't see issues of the Sabbath Sunday thing because Sunday wasn't a day of worship for Christians in the Bible. Yeah. It's silent on that, but instead the real issue we find in the early church was one of circumcision, yeah. not on the yeah. day of worship. Yeah. So they go up to Jerusalem and they go meet before the apostles and the elders. And in verse 4 of Acts 15, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. So they gave a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. of what had happened. And then in verse 5 it says, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Mm. So a minority group, a small group of Pharisees who had converted to Christianity, if you like, uh, they believed in Jesus, they were still holding to these customs of circumcision that everyone, they said, should follow. So we now have an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is actually really key because we've now got this conflict arising in the church. And this is so significant that the church has to come together to resolve it. Uh, But, you know, to me, I love the process that they actually go through to resolve this conflict. Absolutely. So, as you say, they come together, they consider the matter. Then we find in verses 7 to 10, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter steps up and he gets up and he reminds them of how the Holy Spirit and God worked in in Acts chapter eleven, mm-hmm. with with um, the situation there in Caesarea, how Cornelius and his household, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and he says, "Hey, they should they they're just like us. God has blessed them." So he says in verse ten, "Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear?" He is saying, "Look." Let's not put burdens on them. Mm. And then um, Paul and Barnabas, it says, then all the multitudes in verse 12 kept silent. Now, often we don't have silence when we have disagreements. Mm. They kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So there is um, testimony given of how God has worked among the non-Jewish believers. And verse 13 says, after they had become silent. So again, mm. there is order and decorum. After they had become silent, James, which is Jesus' Jesus's brother, he gets up and he says, listen to me. He calls them to attention. Simon, he says, or Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Mm. He then begins to quote scripture. Mm-hmm. So scripture should always be our basis for resolving conflicts. He goes back to the book of Amos. And then... He comes up with a proposed solution in verse 19. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. In other words, what we find here, James is coming up with a solution and he is basically saying to steer clear from all of these things, all of these four things are associated with pagan temples. Mm -hmm. And he's saying these Greek converts need to stay away from all of these things. And, um, but then he says, he says, um, it, it pleased the apostles, this is verse 22, and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch 
with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So basically, um, they come up with a decision. Mm-hmm. They come up with four things that these new converts need to to abstain from. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be circumcised. But then this Jerusalem council says, hey, we're going to write a letter to go back to, to um, Cor- uh, not to Corinth, to go back to Antioch, and we're also going to send some of our own people. So it's not just Paul and Barnabas going yeah, back with a yeah. letter. There are other witnesses to go back with them. Yeah. And I think, David, what this is saying to me is that the church does actually have authority to be able to rule on on these matters. On now, internal matters. On yeah. internal matters. Now, you know, one of the things I'm really conscious of is that we live in a day and age where uh, every every man is wanting justice. Uh, where every individual uh, wants to uh, ha- have a um, ha- have their own uh, rights upheld, and yet in certainly in Corinth we find Paul saying, "Hey, look, uh, you know, you may actually need to surrender." Your rights, and then here in uh, here in Acts, uh, what we find is that the disciples are coming together, and ultimately they have to they have got the authority to make a decision. They and absolutely do, and and this concept of being under authority, I believe, is so important for the world in which we're actually living today because it's something that is very quickly uh, going uh, going the way of, of all the earth. Not accepting the authority. And the authority is based on the word of God. They, they actually say in verse 23, uh, this, they say, To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. This is a letter. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who were sent out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So they are saying, you've heard reports that this is what has come from us, but no, they didn't have authority. That's not from us at all. Mm. And we see that in Christianity today, don't we? Yeah. False yeah. teachings and, and false things. But then it says, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Uh, and he, he goes on and he says who they are. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, this is from God, mm-hmm. and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And um, this is what they write. This is what's Mm. delivered. Mm. And it's interesting that these things were designed so that uh, non-Jews and uh, non-Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians could coexist together. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, this is what made the Christian church actually come together because there was danger before this particular uh, conference that the Christian church would simply be regarded as a sect, as a subsection of the, the Jewish faith, whereas at this particular conference there is actually a decision taken that allows the Christian church to expand and and bloom in its own right to non-Jews, yeah. but there is no reference here to the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never an issue. You exactly. See? So there is a plan that is given here, Gary, and um, and it actually says in verse thirty-two. Now Judas and Silas, the two that were sent from Jerusalem with Paul and Silas, uh, with with Paul and Barnabas, it says they got up themselves and exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words, and so. This settled the Christians in Antioch. It settled them. Uh, the problem was resolved. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. In, in other words, what we've actually got here is we've got, I believe, a model. We've got an example of how how the early church was able to deal with issues. They didn't deny the issues no. uh, were there. They were prepared to come together and deal. You know, I, I think of even Matthew chapter 18, and we do need to finish on this, but I'm just so conscious in that particular chapter, you've got an example where um, um, Christ is very clear. If there is somebody in your church who's got something against somebody else, then I want you to go to that individual. I want to talk to them privately. Work through it. You know, I'm so conscious that so often today, uh, you know, it, it's so easy to publish something on Facebook and, uh, you know, to share out the offences of a, of a particular individual on Facebook. You know, I, I'm sort of saying, hey, no, 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 that's not what... Uh, this is something that is happening between two people. Uh, your responsibility... Uh, is to, uh, to to talk to that particular individual so that nobody else even knows the two of you have spoken together. And in his counsel, he starts small one-on-one, and if that doesn't work, it broadens out. Indeed. But often we go big first. Indeed, indeed. Look, let's have prayer together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I, I want to say thank you for being the gracious God who forgives. Lord, thank you for being uh, the mighty God who impacts lives. Uh, Lord, uh, I just pray uh, that you'd be with uh, each person who's listening to us right now. Lord, if there is anybody who is struggling with somebody uh, in their church, if there's somebody that they sense has something against them, Lord, I pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit might move, might touch their hearts, that indeed they might uh, might feel it's appropriate to be able to talk and to share privately and quietly and alone in order that our healing may occur within relationships. Lord, I'm so conscious of the need uh, of healing uh, within every single church. Lord, we ask, we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will look at the question, can the church misuse its gifts? Really uh, look forward to, uh, to being with you. But until then, please remember Christ said, uh, we're leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.